So last week we finished our series on Jonah, where we saw that Jonah was running from God because God asked him to preach to the Ninevites. Problem is, Jonah had a root of unforgiveness against the Ninevites. And so he ran. He got angry with God. He sabotaged his vocation, sabotaged his relationship with God, sabotaged his friendships with others as he ran. And we saw Jonah run from his past in ways that sabotaged his future. And the point of Jonah is not just to look at Jonah and go, oh my word, you're messed up. The point of Jonah is in fact looking at Jonah as a mirror, going, well in many ways I think I'm like Jonah. That we too have issues in the past. We too have experiences or traumas or problems with our family of origin or whatever it may be, that there are things in the past which can sabotage our future. Like Jonah, we all have stuff. We carry around stuff from the past which has a bearing on our present relationships, our present mental health, and our future as well. And the question that we ask in this next season is how do we heal from the pains and problems of the past? That we find healing so that they don't sabotage our future. And the answer is found in the wilderness. So let's look at Luke chapter 4, beginning in verse 1, as we see how Jesus invites us into a journey to heal from the past, that the things of the past don't sabotage our future. Luke chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those 40 days, and at the end of them he was hungry. And the devil said to him, if you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It's been given to me. And I can give it to anyone I want to. And if you worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The devil then led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered, it is said, do not put, your, put the Lord, your God, to the test. When the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. This passage opens in a really strange way. Have you ever noticed how odd it is that this passage begins with Jesus being led by the Spirit into the wilderness? 
led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Now, the wilderness here is not some spa retreat next to Banff, right? We're not talking that kind of wil- not that kind of wilderness. I'm happy to be led there, by the way. <laughs> no, the word wilderness in Greek is eremos, and is translated desolate place, aloneness, barrenness, isolated. And the Holy Spirit led Jesus into a barren place. Now, this doesn't sound my version of God. You know, I want God to bless me. I want God to lead me into bountiful places. What on earth is he doing leading me into barren places? Why would Jesus go into the wilderness? Why would the Holy Spirit lead him there? Well, there's two answers to that. The first we won't dwell on, and that is this whole battle between Jesus and the enemy is a reenactment of the temptation of Adam and Eve in the garden, and where they failed, a new humanity has come in Jesus, and he succeeds. And so there's a whole wonderful theological foundation here of Jesus overturning the curse, and then representing us, that we can find our victory in him because he has won the victory. Now, that's a whole different sermon. Wonderful. We'll get to that one day. But there's another point here, another reason why Jesus goes into the wilderness, and that is in his humanity, he is God in man. In his humanity, he is modeling to us the way that we are healed from our past. He is modeling to us the way we are to be healed from the past. Now, Jesus does a lot of this modeling in his humanity, fully God, fully man, and in his humanity, he models things. For example, baptism, he models that to us. Washing each other's feet, he models that. Going into the wilderness is one such practice that Jesus does so that he models to us that we need healing from the past, but that's going to come as we embrace the wilderness. Jesus goes into a place of aloneness with his Father, separating out the distractions, the busyness, the appointment calendar, Netflix, and his iPhone. He puts them all aside and goes into silence and solitude, into the place of desolation, into the place of quietness, in order to be with his Father. He went and embraced the Eremos. Now, see, for me, growing up, reading this passage, I always thought, ooh, this Eremos place is like a place of real darkness and weakness, something to be avoided. And I thought, poor Jesus, he's in the wilderness and he's really hungry. I know what I'm like when I'm hungry. I get hangry. And then the devil comes along and tempts him. I thought, this is a bad situation for Jesus. Nothing good can come from the wilderness. But I'd been misreading this text because as we've seen in the other accounts of this incident, we see that actually the wilderness for Jesus was not a place of weakness, but a place of strength, a place of empowerment to face what the devil was about to bring his way. You see, we see as we read all the Gospels that Jesus fasted and prayed for 40 days and then was ready to take on whatever was going to be thrown at him. 
It wasn't the place of draining. It was the place of filling. Dallas Willard says this. He said, most to whom I have spoken about this matter are shocked at the suggestion that the wilderness, the place of solitude and deprivation, was actually the place of strength and strengthening for our Lord and that the Spirit led him there as he would lead us there to ensure that Christ was in the best possible condition for the trial. In that desert solitude, Jesus fasted for more than a month and then, and not before, Satan was allowed to approach him with his glittering proposals of bread, notoriety, and power. Only then was Jesus at the height of his strength. The desert was his fortress, his place of power. The Eremos is a place where the Holy Spirit leads us to free us from the pains of the past and empower us for the future. We see Jesus embracing the Eremos, not just in defined seasons, but also as regular rhythms. Later on in chapter 4, Jesus has a heck of a day, man. He's been doing Jesus stuff all day. He's been preaching. He's been healing the multitudes. They keep coming to him. He, he kind of goes to someone's house to take a rest, and they, they knock on his door. They're around him all day, and he's giving out, he's giving out, he's giving out, he's giving out. Imagine in his humanity how exhausted he was. People were saying, Jesus, we want you to do this. Jesus, do this. All the demands from people. And in response to his business, what does Jesus do? Well, we have on verse 42 of the same chapter, it says, at daybreak, Jesus went out to a solitary place. What's the Greek for solitary place? Eremos. The same place where he went before. He went to a desolate, lonely, alone place to get away from the demands of people, to get away from all the commands and get away from the pressures so that he could once again center himself around his relationship with his father, turn off the noise and center himself. And so we see what happens when he did that. The people were looking for him, it said, and when they came to where he was, they tried to keep him from leaving them. But he said, I love this, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also, because that is why I was sent. And he kept on preaching in the synagogues of Judea. You see, the people are demanding this and that of him, but Jesus, who is fully whole in his relationship with God, coming out of the place of Eremos, where he's been recharged, he's been recentered, he's clear about what he's supposed to be doing. He's able to not even be tempted by pupil-pleasing and all what they want of him to do. And he's empowered to, to do the ministry God has for him. Jesus is modeling to us a lifestyle and seasons of Eremos. Turning off the noise, not being distracted by the busyness, and walking into a place of wilderness to be with our Father, that he may free us from the past and empower us from the future. The Holy Spirit leads us into these places. 
If you remember the last chapter of Jonah, we see this in the life of Jonah. Jonah's been acting out of brokenness, unforgiveness. He's been angry. He felt suicidal. His mental health was suffering. His relationships were suffering. But we see in the very last chapter of Jonah, God sitting next to Jonah in the wilderness. And it's there that God starts to say, Jonah, we need to deal with this issue. We need to go there. We need to get rid of this. You see, God loved Jonah the way he was, but he loved him way too much to leave him the way he was. God wants to free us from the past and therefore calls us away from distraction, calls us away from denial to sit with him that he may heal us and move us forward. Now, I don't know about you, I kind of do everything possible to avoid going into the wilderness. I do everything I can to avoid it. You know, I'll use excuses. You know, I'm just too busy. You know, this Lent thing coming up for 40 days, that's the practice of the early church. Let's model this thing that Jesus did and set time aside to examine the past and sit in it and be healed for the future. It's like, dude, I'm way too busy for that. I'll, you know what I'll do? I'll just try quick fixes. I know stuff is there, but I'm going to try, try quick fixes. I'll do the quick fix that LA says, which is, you know what, detach. That's the answer in our society is to detach. Detach from your circumstances. You know, I went to a stretch class called yoga recently, actually about two years ago before COVID. And I was in there, and I was in there, and I realized that, besides doing stretches that I couldn't do, um, what they were inviting me to do was also detach from the pains of life. And I thought, that's kind of nice. And just sit there in the dark and pretend that actually there's nothing now bothering you. Just release it. I could detach. And for an hour, it was kind of in the dark, smelling some lovely things and kind of kind of falling asleep, I've got to say. But... but I realized that the answer to the issues of my pain in the past were not to go back and deal with them, but just to detach from them and have an hour's worth of peace. And what was ironic was I then went to the changing rooms and the showers and two of the guys who were in the class who were all looking really cool and zen in the moment started to fight about who got there first to the shower. I thought, hmm, it didn't last very long, did it? See, the answer our society gives us is just Try and ignore it. Detach from the circumstances or detach from people. Just move on. Just move on. Just, you know, let the haters be haters and move on. The problem is you don't ever deal with anything, so you move on and eventually you have to move on from everyone. And you find yourself increasingly alone. Now, I grew up in the church as a good Christian. So my philosophy of ignoring the past and not going into wilderness was not kind of secular theories of detachment. It was instead Christianized version of triumphal living in Jesus, right? I was raised with the lens of, man, Jesus has won the victory. I'm a charismatic Pentecostal. We don't need 40 days. Jesus has done it already. I just need a download in prayer ministry and I'll be fixed, right? It was kind of like the charismatic shortcut. I know I've got these feelings. I know I've got these traumas. I know I've got this baggage from the past. But 
Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. And so I go forward for prayer and go, Jesus, take these feelings away. Replace sadness with victory and gladness, right? The problem is, I did believe in miracles. I saw God do miracles. I saw God mend bones together. I saw supernatural events happen. I never actually ever saw someone who was angry suddenly downloaded joy. What I realized was God rarely downloads transformation of the past. But he takes us through a journey of healing. He invites us into the wilderness. He goes with us to look at the past together, to go back in order to go forward. And I was raised in an environment where I saw God do so many things and so many beautiful things of miracles, but there was a common theme that none of our real brokenness was ever being dealt with. And so you had people anointed to do miracles, but radically broken on the inside. By God's grace, he still loved the sick to heal them, but you started to see people blow themselves up in dysfunction. Because we didn't embrace the wilderness. We're led by the Spirit. He would love us to free us from the past. So as we enter this season of Lent, this is the invitation of the Holy Spirit. To say, we all have stuff. And the Holy Spirit says, I love you too much for this stuff to sabotage your future. Will you come with me? That lovingly, with hope, with the power of Jesus, we can heal the past. So what do we do in the wilderness? What do we do in the wilderness? Well, the first thing is we listen to what God is wanting to do in our lives. We see this in Jesus, right? We get in touch with what's going on here. We're honest about how we're feeling. We're honest about where we're at. When Jesus goes to another desolate place later on in the story, the Garden of Gethsemane, you see that he is dismayed and sorrowful. He's in touch with, oh Lord, this is hard. He doesn't push down his feelings. He doesn't ignore the problem, but he gets in Touch with the truth of where he's at. Jesus never said, denial will set you free. He said, the truth will set you free. And so we begin in this next season, whenever the Holy Spirit's leading you into a place of wilderness, it's time to get honest with God, to get in touch with how we're really doing. And often it's only in silence and solitude, which is why it's the wilderness. It's only when we set time aside and turn off the phone, maybe fast, maybe go on the Lent retreat, Whatever it is, that it's in that moment that in silence we can no longer hide from the voices of pain in our hearts. Blaise Pascal once wrote, All of humanity's problems stem from man's inability to sit quietly in a room alone. How true is that? Because for so many of us, when we sit quietly in a room alone, the voices of pain scream louder and louder. We need to go and say, Lord, what is going on here? Why is it? What is it? 
that I'm carrying? What is it that I'm carrying from the past that is sabotaging my future? Now, this was hard for me for many years to get in touch with because one of my problems of ever going into the wilderness, ever embracing silence and solitude, ever embracing a season of examination under the loving care of the Holy Spirit was I actually couldn't find any feelings or any problems in my life because I'd been told to squash them all down and to bury them under the carpet. I'm British after all. You know, keep calm and carry on was not just a British cultural trait, but in my background growing up, it was hyper-spiritualized of this is what it means to be a good Christian, to actually not feel the emotions of anger or hurt or pain, because that was a sign of, in my world, you're not living in the victory of Jesus. Have you ever been there? Well, I just couldn't open up about anything that was painful because I was always trained to think in my mind, well, how can I ever feel pain after what Jesus has done for me? Man, Jesus has died on the cross and he's resurrected. New life has begun in Jesus. Hallelujah! That's my overriding emotion. And if I ever did have a negative emotion, if I ever did have kind of pain in my life, I'd always what we'd call Psalm 42 it. Do you know Psalm 42? Why are you downcast, oh my soul? Put your trust in the Lord. It was like, we had to rebuke the pain, rebuke the feelings. And so the motto of my family, if you ever meet my family, <laughs> if you ever meet my family, I love them to death. But if anybody ever asks us, hey, how are you? What's the response? I'm fine. I'm fine. Oh, man. Gay, great data. Yeah, I'm totally fine, brother. That's awesome. Oh, man, Gay, you just got fired from your dog, your, your job. How are you? Yeah, I'm fine, brother, trusting in Jesus. You know, oh, man, man, Gay, you just, you know, almost got kicked. What's, what's going on? You've, your girlfriend's bro broken up with you. How are you? Hey, I'm fine. Jesus is risen from the dead. It was this ridiculous, hyper-spiritual, refusing any kind of negativity. I remember it was ridiculous proportions. I'm 18, 19, 20 now. Just kind of starting to live into this denial of this past, denial of things in my life. And it started to get dysfunctional. I started to not be able to sleep at night. I started to have this inner anxiety of always performing. I didn't know what it was. I kept rebuking insomnia, not realizing it was a problem I had. I remember I was over-functioning. Because, man, if I've got spare five minutes, man, there's more to do for Jesus, right? So I was at college, at law school. I was on the monthly preaching rotation at church. I was leading the campus ministry at the, church, at, the, at the college. I started and led a college community group. In summers, I did mission trips. And I used to do midnight prayer walks around the town. I was actually over-functioning and ignoring what was actually going on inside. And it got to ridiculous proportions where I thought, I'm fine, I don't need anyone else. It started to isolate me and it started to create a very lonely environment because to need other people was to admit that Jesus was not enough. Ever, ever lived into that bad theology? And I remember one gloriously ridiculous example that I thought, I'm fine at all costs and I cannot depend on anyone because that would be a weakness of my faith. Where in law school, I um, 
Went to the doctor, and I was getting repeatedly sick. And he went, dude, it's your tonsils, man. They're ugly. You need to get them out. And then he looked at my nose and did a little scan and went, you've got all sorts of stuff going up here. We have to clean that out as well. So you need to check. You need surgery. So I went, cool. When? He went, well, we'll book you in. And he said, so just arrange, like, who's going to pick you up? Because, like, you're going to be messed up. I said, oh, no, I'm fine. He goes, no, 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 you don't understand. You don't understand. You're going to actually be knocked out. We're going to be about three or four hours. You're going to be drugged up. We're going to release you pretty quickly because we don't keep you in. We're just one night. Then the next day, you won't be able to eat. You'll be in chronic pain, and you'll, your head will be fully bandaged. You need, do you have any friends and family? I go, I do, but I'm fine. And he goes, well, who's going to pick you up? I go, the, the subway. I'll go home. He goes, dude, you can't. So I was now, I'm totally fine. And I remember the day of the surgery. No one knew I was going in for surgery. The day of the surgery, my mum called. I go, hey, mum, how's it going? And she goes, yeah, what are your plans for the weekend? I go, oh, no. I, I need to show everyone that I don't need anyone. But I can't lie to my mum. So I went, oh, I'm having surgery. And she went, what? What? I go, yeah, I'm, yeah. She went, what a... a Alone? Does anyone know? I went, no, I'm fine. And I remember that was the beginning of my unraveling, of starting to realize, man, I got some junk here. And it wasn't long, actually, that I, something happened in my life that then caused me to explode. I was a ticking time bomb. And I ended up in a therapist chair who's an amazing Christian pastor. I'd leave work around 8 o'clock, catch the tube to this guy, and he'd sit me down. And I would try and convince him of the theology of Jesus. And at the end, he said, yeah, I believe in Jesus too, man, but you are messed up. You need to get in touch with the pain of your life. We need to listen. Be attentive. That's why I journal. I still find it difficult this day to get in touch with my emotions. So I journal. I have this little online thing called Day One. Anybody ever heard of Day One? An online journal. And it's funny. It takes me a while. I go, oh, I'm having a great day today. And after line three, I'm going, no, I'm not actually. This is really terrible. <laughs> we need to get in touch because our emotions are how God is speaking to us of this is where he wants to heal us. Pain is God's megaphone to a broken world, as C.S. Lewis said. But then we don't stay in listening. We don't stay there because then we say, God, but why is this the case? Why is this the case? Jesus said, Lord, if there's any way that this cup can pass from me. But he went, but I know it's your will. And the courage of going into wilderness is to face the pain and say, God, why is this here? Why am I addicted to this? Why am I so defensive? Why am I so critical? Why are my relationships breaking up? Why is this happening to me? And to allow the Holy Spirit to start to take you back into the roots of pain. And it's there when he heals the roots do transformation start to begin in your life. We have to go back to go forward. Now, I know in the room there's many things in the back that we kind of want to stay there. 
It's not just in the back, but we've like dug a pit and buried it up and said, I never want to go there again. And yet the smell is lingering and we can't quite avoid bringing it into the future. And so there is courage and there's bravery. But the beautiful thing in the wilderness, it says the Holy Spirit led him. God goes with us into the wilderness. Not only with his love and care, but also with the power of Jesus Christ. That truly over that journey of sitting with God, sitting with the pain, sitting with why I feel this way, sitting with what's the roots of this. When we sit with Jesus, he brings his power to bear and he heals us and he equips us. Now I know enough to know that we often need a guide as we go through the wilderness. And over this season of Lent, I want to encourage us all not to go in there alone, but to go with a companion, to go with others and say, look, I'm going to face this. I need you to be with me. I want to give you some resources which I want to recommend, which have really helped me as I've refused just to carry the baggage into the future, but to go back in order to go forward. I'm going to give you some resources over the next season of Lent together as we are led by the Spirit. Live No Lies by John Mark Homer. So much of the lies of the enemy have really warped us, and we need to replace lies with truth. Emotionally Healthy Spirituality by Pete Gazzara will also be running a course after Easter. This has been so instructive for my life. I remember reading the book first when I was at seminary 20 years ago, and going, oh my word, everyone needs to do this. Sometimes it's our view of God that needs healing. And so I can't think of a better book, maybe in Lent, Knowledge of the Holy by A.W. Tozer. And of course, The Way of the Heart by Henry Nouwen. There's also a website I want to recommend, and that's uh, boundaries.me by my friend Henry. Um, if you know Henry Cloud, he's an incredible friend, part of our family, but also an incredible psychologist and uh, Christ-filled psychologist. And this website is overwhelmingly bountiful with helping you with wisdom through the stuff of your past. I only discovered it a couple of months ago, and it's kind of like I've been binge-watching Boundaries.me. These little videos go, huh, defensiveness, I never knew. That's amazing. Dealing with anxiety, gosh. And it's funny, do you know ever, do you know when a friend of yours is like primarily just a friend and a mate, right, which Henry is, and you forget their vocation, just like we just have a laugh together. And then you see them do their thing, and you go, oh, you're quite good at that. <laughs> I'm literally watching Henry in these little videos going, huh, who knew? You're quite good at that. And I'm binge watching, and they kind of want to text him and go, dude, you should, like, you should do this as a career. <laughs> literally. So I want to really recommend Boundaries.me. He's actually really good. Um, <laughs> It's actually really helpful. I've been listening to a lot over the last few months and going, wow. Because we need not only just revelation, we need help, wisdom. And some of the things that we're walking out of, we literally have to walk out of the wilderness. We have to put in new behaviors, maybe some new relationships, maybe some new boundaries. The wonderful thing about Jesus is his wisdom brings healing. It's not... He works his power through wisdom for living, which is why we have the book of Proverbs. But whatever it is, the Holy Spirit is inviting you into this journey. 
into a journey where you go, you know, the pain of the past, I don't want it to become a painful for my future as well. It's time to go back to go forward. And that's what the season of Lent is all about. It's not some Catholic thing. It's a Jesus thing. And if Jesus embraced it, so are we. Because I don't know about you, but everything in culture is screaming at me not to stop and listen. And yet Jesus says, come with me. That I may heal the past. That it will no longer sabotage your future. It won't be a quick fix, which is why Jesus embraced the wilderness as a lifestyle. And so we enter into this next season knowing that, yeah, there may be a mountain to climb in some of the ways, and I'm still working out some of the things that I identified 20 years ago. But you know what? Even though I still walk with a limp, I'm not crippled as I used to be. And every season, I enter into greater and greater healing and wholeness because I embrace the wilderness. Let's stand together.